I'm Dave Champion. If you've been following me for any length of time, you've almost certainly seen my videos in which I lay out the facts, the information, and the data concerning SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. Not the nonsensical government and media narrative, but the actual data, what's really going on. And in a video I released just the other day, I talked about the comments made by Dr. Martin McCary, which he said the United States has already achieved herd immunity back in January, and that COVID-19 will essentially be gone, it'll barely be a thing, it'll be irrelevant by April. But of course, we know a great deal of what's been going on in the last 14 months is, sadly, political. And as far as these governors are concerned, as things wind down, the political equation becomes much more tricky, and many of them are facing re-election in 2022. So let's talk about that. Whenever we're looking at a political equation, then we have to consider the motivations of the politicians involved. And unless they come right out and tell you what their motivations are, which is incredibly rare, we have to presume what they might be. So I'd like to tell you a story, which of course has a punchline, has a conclusion. We'll see how you feel about that. Our story begins back in April 2020, when five states, California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and Nevada, entered into the Western States Pact concerning SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. The premise of this Western States Pact was that the virus doesn't respect borders, so we all need to work together. And of course, a big part of working together is exchanging information. California being the wealthiest of the five states by far, took the lead with data, including something called predictive data. And that is the kind of thing where various health experts at usually universities, they look at the trends and they put it into some sort of computer model. And that tells them, presumably, what's going to happen next week, next month, three months from now, and so forth. And so California was leading the charge concerning the SARS-CoV-2 predictive data for these five states in the Western States PAC. And then California was sharing that predictive data with the other four states. Now, our story gets a little interesting. Beginning to mid-January, when Newsom ordered that data to no longer be made available to its private partners, uh, private institutions that were working with the state to combat the virus, Newsom said, you can't see our predictive data anymore. Yet Newsom was allowing the other four states to see California's predictive data as long as those four states agreed to the same limitations that they could not take California's predictive data and share it with their private institutions. I think it's important to keep in mind that for, in the range of nine months, California shared its predictive data with private institutions that it was partnered with and shared it without restrictions to the other four states. But suddenly, early to mid-January, Newsom ordered that predictive data to be locked up, to be kept secret. On February 18th, the Wall Street Journal ran an article featuring the remarks I shared with you earlier from Dr. Martin McCary, where he said the United States has been in herd immunity since the beginning of January and COVID-19 won't really be a thing by April. 
I'm confident that's exactly what the predictive data from California was showing Newsom, and that's exactly why he suddenly said we've been sharing this openly, and now we lock it up. Now it's a secret, because the predictive data was showing the same thing that Dr. McCary was saying, is that the United States had reached herd immunity, cases were plummeting, and it was about to go away, and Newsom had a number of reasons that he doesn't want anyone outside of government knowing that. Now let's switch and talk about Nevada Governor Sisolak. Sisolak is a Newsom sycophant. Whatever Governor Newsom does, Sisolak generally does 10 days, 14 days, 20 days after Newsom does it. And of course, day in and day out, Sisolak was looking at that California predictive data showing that the United States had gone into herd immunity, which would include California and Nevada. In November, Sisolak had taken the existing restrictions, which were pretty horrific, and he'd added more restrictions to that. On February 11th, he announced that he was going to ease that. Okay, now remember, the data was showing that the United States was in herd immunity back at the beginning of January. On February 11th, he holds a press conference and he says, I'm going to ease the restrictions. Okay, now he's, he's looking at the data, so he knows where we're really at. He eased the restrictions about that much. It was a disgrace. It was things like you don't have to make an appointment anymore to go pick up food from a fast food restaurant. But the disgraceful and idiotic part of Sisolak's press conference is not the part that's important for the purpose of this tale. For the purpose of this tale, the important part is Sisolak saying that come May 1st, he's going to turn over the day-to-day -day affairs of how to deal with SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 to the counties, to the cities. In other words, he's going to step away from the situation come May 1st. At this point in our tale, let's put a couple of pieces together. Dr. McCary said the United States was in herd immunity since early January and COVID's not even really going to be a thing by April. Second point, the predictive data that Sisolak is looking at provided to him by Newsom, is telling him that exact same story. And lastly, after five weeks of plunging new daily infections, as I'm sitting here talking to you today, Nevada has experienced a 92% reduction in new daily infections. So we have McCary's statement, we have the him looking at the predictive data, and we have the five weeks of plunging cases from about January 7th through February 11th, when he had his press conference, at which he said, I'm going to step out of this process. Why would he do that? I think the first thing to understand when we look at the why is that Sisolak has had absolutely no problem grabbing the reins of power and being a dictator. It's, it's not like that bothers him. Okay, so he's not stepping away because, oh, I've, I've had too much of this dictatorial power. That's not who he is. But he is facing re-election in November 2022. Might that have something to do with why he's, as of March 1st, stepping out of the process? Yeah, absolutely, and here's why. Sisolak believes that he is due much credit from the voters of Nevada for his actions from March 2020 through February of 2021. He really thinks that the way he positioned everything and the way he did it and the way he spoke and this measures he took, that the voters of Nevada are going to be very supportive of that. However, 
he's well aware that it's easy to look good, at least in the minds of idiots, when they're panicked, when they're fearful. So that's what he's counting on. But when what drives the fear is over or greatly diminished, and now you've got to unwind this. Politically, when he's looking at November 2022, this is the rashness. This is the problem. This is where he has to be very, very careful if he thinks he has any chance of getting reelected in 22. As I'm imagining exists anywhere in the country, Nevada has basically two demographics, speaking in big, broad terms. One is the COVIDiots who are fearful and they're emotionally invested in that and they want to remain fearful. They, they'd love it if this whole virus thing would continue on and on and on so they can continue virtue signaling and they want the heavy hand of government to continue. That's the first group. Then you've got the second group, which includes people like me, which says the government should have never been doing the kinds of things it was doing in the first place. So yeah, now that the government doesn't have a justification and now that the latest data is removing the reasons for all that fear, that this is the time for us to pressure government to stop the shit it should have never been doing in the first place. So here's the dilemma Sisolak is facing. If he keeps the heavy hand of government on the, on the state of Nevada, on the people of Nevada, he's going to irritate half the people. He's going to displease half the people who then may not vote for him in November 22. If, on the other hand, he does what I would want him to do, which is, okay, it's over, we're done, lifting the mask order, lifting the social distancing, lifting all the restrictions on business, blah, 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 then he would inflame the COVIDiots who are emotionally invested and want the heavy hand of government to continue. No matter what he does at this point, he, as things are unwinding, he's going to either anger this group or this group, or... He can tread the middle of the road and he can anger them both, which means he doesn't stand a chance in November 22. So with that as the political equation, what's the solution? Sisolak's solution, for which I have to give him credit, politically speaking, it's an astute way to go, is for him to say, you know, I've done such great work so far. On May 1st, I'm going to step away. I'm going to turn this all over to the counties and to the cities. Then, when the messy part happens, right, when you've got these competing factions, the Covidians versus the rational people, and people are irritated, like, well, why are we still dealing with this? Or, oh my God, I can't believe the government needs this restriction. Then, when they scream and yell and they get upset, Sisolak can say, well, if that took place after May 1st, that wasn't me. That was them. Vote for me in November 22. But what most people probably did not catch as they were watching Sislak's February 11th press conference is that he didn't mention terminating the emergency declaration that gives him all of his dictatorial powers. That wasn't mentioned even once. If you don't live in the state of Nevada, you may be wondering... <laughs> Why have I listened to this long-winded political tale concerning the state of Nevada and Governor Sisolak? Well, first of all, I want you to be aware and alert. So if your governor starts trying to play the same sort of games, you can say, aha, I know exactly what the governor is trying to do. The governor is trying to remove him or herself from the consequences of pissing off the voters as they're heading into election season.
And that brings me to what is perhaps the main point of this video. With so many of these what I call lockdown governors running for re-election in November of 2022, what should we do about it? As you may know, I'm nonpartisan. I'm not Republican and I'm not Democrat. And frankly, the whole partisan thing turns me off. I think it is one of the biggest problems we have in America right now. However, looking forward to November 2022 and the gubernatorial elections, here's my view. Let's use California as an example. Prior to COVID-19, Newsom was a shoe-in to be reelected. However, there is a very active recall effort in California. Uh, they recently got all the signatures they need to recall him. All they need to go through now is signature verification. And if most of those signatures, the lion's share of them, are verified, then that the movement will have the signature sufficient to get this on the ballot and to conduct a recall. So Newsom is in a very awkward position. He is politically weakened when it comes to his reelection. So using California as an example, of course, it's an incredibly left-leaning state. Do I imagine that the voters of California are going to put a Republican in the governor's mansion? I, I don't. I, you know, I, I moved out of California 12 years ago because I looked around. I'm like, okay, so all these people I'm living amongst, as, as far as voters are concerned, they're brain dead. So I haven't seen any signs that that's getting any better or has gotten any better. So no, I don't imagine they would put somebody other than a very left-leaning Democrat in the governor's mansion, which is not really my point when it comes to lockdown governors. The point when it comes to lockdown governors is I don't really care who gets put in the governor's mansion as long as it's not the person who committed the lockdowns. We need to send a message nationally if you lock down, now I'm not talking about you locked down for 30 days at the very beginning because you didn't have all the data. Okay. Wrong? Yes, absolutely. Forgivable? Yeah, I think so. A short lockdown because you were panicked and you thought you were doing the right thing? Okay. Whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, I don't think that matters. But those who lock down and lock down again and crippled businesses and put like, you know, family businesses that have been in business for generations, put them out of business, that kind of thing. Watch their suicide rate and their poverty rate soar. For the purpose of the point I'm making here, I don't care who is in the governor's mansion, whether the person is more right-leaning, whether the person is more left-leaning, as long as every single state that has a lockdown governor, that they turn that son of a bitch out and do not reelect them. Americans need to send a message. This is impermissible. You got away with it because we didn't see this coming, but we're going to send national message, a nationwide message. If you thought that was acceptable to do to us, you cannot be reelected. And this needs to happen in every single state of the union who has a lockdown governor. So the, this whole ta political tale I've been sharing with you from secret predictive data and the uh, Western States Pact and Newsom and then his sycophant uh, Sisolak moving through this whole process discussing how the politics is playing out really comes back to the November 2022 election and what in my opinion, 
we need to make sure happens that no lockdown governor, not one across the United States, gets reelected in 2022.